And at Horizon, they said in the beginning of the year, like the student and the parent orientation, they said, this school is so good, we will have to kick your kids out at the end of the day. And it would be like, <laughs> Were you, oh like, my gosh, all the time. In fact, Asia and I figured out a way that we could hide in one of the cabinets. Hello, welcome back to Ready to Redo. This week and next, we're joined by Danica V. Meredith to discuss alternative education. She actually did two years of alternative schooling in Horizon Alternative Senior School in Canada. So she's got plenty of crazy stories to share. Danica is an absolute powerhouse of the cell and a great storyteller. So this podcast is supposed to be mixing my mediocre humor with redoing education, but Danica's actually funny and entertaining. So let's make this an exception. Awesome. Let's begin. Could you first explain what an alternative school even is and what your experiences were like transitioning from traditional into alternative? I was listening to actually one of your earlier podcasts talking about school and, you know, were you one of those people in school that you just didn't understand what was going on? It was moving too quickly. Or were you someone in school that like, why can't everybody keep up? Why are we still working on this? And I think that traditional education, which is certainly how I started in Toronto, which is in Canada, uh, good education system, well-funded, but just really like, you know, teaching to the mean, teaching compliance. And in grade four, I won't say the name of the teacher, but I do remember it. We just got in kind of a fracas all year because she said that I asked too many questions. I challenged too much. And I wasn't asking like, when is lunch or, you know, why is the sky blue? Like it was, there were gaps in the narrative of our grade four reader, you know, Mr. Muggs went to the store, but then what happened to that journey? Like he's now back at home. Um, but she wanted me to just, you know, read and follow and, and, and not question. My parents, uh, they were professionals. They both have PhDs. And so I was raised to really not challenge necessarily. But if you see a gap, ask it, think critically, problem solve, not to complain, but to say, hey, I noticed Mr. Muggs went to the store and then that was dropped. What's going on? Interrogate. And I think that's a great lesson. Uh, I think it's also an important lesson how you direct your questions and to whom. But in grade four, you know, you don't have that sophistication as you maybe should as an adult in work. And so my teacher just put me in the hall a lot. and. And I felt so much shame. Like, God, what's wrong with me? Like, why can't I just, why can't I just be quiet? But I just felt it coming up inside of me. And certainly my family is all entrepreneurs. So in my family, I definitely, you know, fitting in versus belonging, we were all kind of like that. And that was encouraged. I started reading the newspaper at age 11 and then like, hey, why did that politician say that? And my mom's saying, okay, Danica, what would you do? So that was normal. But then going to school, which I love learning, and it did make me angry, but I also felt like something was wrong with me. But I really did just feel uh, shame because, you know, the authority figure is telling you that you're wrong. 
in that year four, uh, in, in grade four, were there other teachers that treated you the same way as that teacher? Or was that especially bad? It was just one subject. Um, I did get into, I was in the enrichment program. Um, hang on, my, my bulldog just <laughs> invited himself in, Romeo. <laughs> Come here. Oh, no. okay. You can cut that. Um, <laughs> so all dogs are welcome on this podcast, including you, Romeo. We had an enrichment program. But I, I think I carried that shame and I thought I was so stupid. My best friend, Cassandra, was very, very smart. She's a prof at Harvard now. And I just thought that they were giving me hope by including me in the gifted program. So we would get out of some class and go to the library and we learned about kites and then we made different kites or we learned about birds and we had an artist come in. It was actually Aiko Suzuki, David Suzuki's uh, ex-wife. Uh, but came in and taught us how to draw and paint birds. Uh, but I just thought they were giving me hope because I was like really stupid and I was friends with Cassandra. So they were like, well, let's just show her what could be, which in a way I think is actually sophisticated, you know, problem solving and strategic thinking. But I just felt so much shame for the way I was. Uh, so grade five, uh, I have Barry Palmer. And so right away, he's like, call me by my first name, which you know, in the eighties was really not done. I mean, he was still the, with an alternative system, you, the teacher is still the authority figure because they're your teacher and it's sanctioned by the school board. But so what makes it different? It's not just calling them by their first names. It's actually as a student, and that was grade five. So I was 10, you are accountable for your learning. Meaning teacher gives you homework or you have a, a lesson that you need to learn. And what do we normally do? Memorize, regurgitate. We were asked to be part of actually the learning creation. What are ways to make this more interesting? And I'll give you one example that I remember so clearly from grade five. Uh, we were learning fractions and I just, I just didn't understand them. I, was, I had a good head for math, but fractions just didn't jam with me. And so I asked, why do we need to learn this? And I wasn't, I actually wasn't challenging like, this sucks. I'm never going to use this. I was just like asking for context. Not only did he realize that, he found a way to explain. And he asked me a few questions. I asked him a few questions. And the next day we went to a grocery store and we got whatever it was, you know, six lemons for a dollar and a bunch of apples and, and different teams. So every team bought something. And he had measuring cups and knives and cutting boards. We went back to school and we cut things up. And we looked up recipes, two thirds of a cup, that's fractions. He didn't get mad at me for challenging. And he understood that I was asking for more, that I was in my own way saying, I don't, I don't understand, but I want to. And he found a way to give context. And it was so concrete and I'm very visual. Like I'm in my forties now, but I remember that like it was yesterday. And we even, everybody had to buy it separately. We kept the receipts. We looked at the tax, right? So you've got percentages there and fractions. We even talked about what tax pays for, like school. And in those days you got pens and paper in school. So it was like literally paying for his salary, our supplies. And it was concrete. I could understand. So what an alternative system, I think ultimately at a macro level seeks to do is maybe what some of the best workplaces are trying to do now and say, you know what, like, don't, 
don't come to work where I'm going to tell you what to do and micromanage you. You're an adult. And when I've led teams like that, some adults are really discombobulated by that. And I think the same with school. We are to unlearn those lessons. And even at age 10 and then grade six, I had a regular stream class. Very recommended. We had middle school in Toronto. Uh, we don't in Quebec, but because I, I now live in Montreal. So you went to a different school for grade seven and eight and then high school in ninth grade. So for grade seven and eight, Barry recommended I go to Horizon, which is the, the link I put in there. So Horizon Alternative Senior School. And it was 90 kids, four teachers, a huge room in the top of a regular elementary school. And a lot of the lessons I learned from that, I'm, I've brought into my work life. Like the fact that we do annual performance reviews seems a bit ridiculous, right? So if you're my boss, you say in January, well, you know, Danica, in April, you did this and, and it didn't work out. And then you're going to coach me. That's not really actionable when it's like so long ago. Or were you even there? Did you witness this? And then if I don't agree with your rating, which usually in, in traditional offices and businesses, then that affects my merit pay. You know, if I get a four out of four on my performance review, then I might get a 6% increase. But if you give me, you know, a, a three or a two, because this thing I did in April or whatever, this is just an example, um, then I might not get a bonus. What we did at Horizon was we did weekly self-evaluations, not exhaustive. And because it was still school, there were still report cards. The teachers oversaw all of our weekly evaluations. But we had a reunion recently. And before I could even ask a question, uh, the science teacher, Dave, who actually started Horizon, came up to me and he's like, Danica, are you still hard on yourself? Uh, excuse me? <laughs> now, I only figured that out when I had, when my youngest, when my oldest daughter was four, because she was so hard on herself. And I was like, if anything, I thought we were too complimentary. You're so great. You're so wonderful. That's a beautiful picture of whatever that is. Um, so I went to see a therapist who like in 18 minutes was like, well, she's hard on herself because you're hard on yourself. And I really, it was like a revelation. I really didn't, I didn't, I didn't know. It was amazing that, okay, how many teachers can you go back to when you're in your forties that will even remember you? He looked at me, he knew me. And he remembered that distinct thing about me. And I am entertaining. I am, I tend to be in crowds. I just light up. I tend to say the right thing to the right person. I'm highly intuitive and funny. Yeah. And some people mistake that because I have an insane drive and drive for results, competitiveness. Um, but that Dave remembered that about me. And so I asked him, why do you remember that? And he's like, well, I remember a lot of things. I did my eyebrows different colors for half a year. That was, I just thought, like, as in they, one is blue and one is what? Like, well, usually they matched, but they were not like brown. Like people oh, might okay. shade their eyebrows now, but it was, yeah, like I would take blue eyeshadow and it was, both of them would be blue, but like, you know, why don't people color their eyebrows? Why do <laughs> eyebrows exist? That's what I want to know. <laughs> I think I looked it up and I think it's something like eyelashes. <laughs> of course kind of you did. <laughs> of course you researched it. Yeah. 
wait a minute. Uh, and I looked it up back then, but you know, I was 12. So I was like, I'm going to shake up the establishment. Yeah, I'm going to do nice. blue eyebrows. Did you start a um, trend or was it just you? <laughs> um, yeah, so that was just me. Okay. okay. <laughs> um, but, but he remembered that because he said what he learned about that self-evaluation exercise is that people need to take it seriously, but if they do, they are always harder on themselves than, than you are. And if you think about it, there's, there's real resonance there. Um, because I've seen that with people that I've coached, that I've mentored people in the workplace where sometimes it's like, don't disclose, you know, so many flaws because they don't, it doesn't always show up. Like we're that voice inside of our heads is brutal. Uh, but not everybody can see all of your real or perceived flaws or weaknesses. Uh, so if you are really doing a self-evaluation and you are someone that takes it seriously and, and drives hard. Yeah. He said if, so also the rating was not, it was not a grade, a letter grade. It was instead of like ABC, it was excellent, good, satisfactory needs improvement. As in you would do your, you would self-evaluate and would yeah. they also do something like a, a review on you at the same time? Yes. So you would write it, you would hand it in on a Friday and you would get it back early in the week that it would be actionable. So you would get their evaluation and then, or we would hand it in on Thursday because you would have meetings about it. I guess once a month you would trade with your peers. They would rate you and you would, you would rate yourself. They would rate you. And so we also practiced giving feedback, which is amazing. I mean, all the teams that I've managed, the management director roles that I've had at work, I've had training in that because I've sought it out. But I think that's something everybody, everybody should learn. For sure. Uh, and I, I learned it when I was 12, yeah. how, to, how to give feedback to your peers. And you're 12, so you're not always sophisticated in how you say things. So yeah, there's conflict. But that happens with adults in the workplace. And what so, sort of feedback would they give you? I think it was similar because like, like Dave said, he said, you know, if I would ever give you excellent, you would be like, oh, Dave, no, I don't. I really didn't work on that. I threw that shit together. Oh, sorry. I just swear. Oh, no, I threw no, that swear, together. Swear. Why okay. does everyone think that they can't swear on this podcast? You can swear away. <laughs> um, I think it depends. Like my mom swore like a sailor. So my feeling was like, that's what you do when you're a grown up. And then I went to work and like people really didn't, and I worked for IBM, like it was really <laughs> discouraged to swear. Um, but there's no real replacement. Like fuck can be exclamation point. Oh yeah. It can be a name of somebody. It can be a noun. Yeah. It's an, it's a verb. It's, you know, what a flexible word. So, <laughs> but, but they said like, you know, that I would just look and be like, oh, I threw that shit together the morning of like, please don't give me a good mark. And he'd be like, well, but the result speaks for itself. Mm, I don't know. I, I could have done better. And then I'd point out all the things that I would have done if I'd had more time. So I think that's, I think that's really interesting because if you went to your average teacher, like my grade four teacher, they would say that is ridiculous. A child cannot evaluate themselves. Now they, we didn't give the official evaluation, the official grade to the board of ed. But the whole concept of you've already got the A. Now what are you going to do? What are you learning? What are you taking from this? And that was the premise that Horizon started with. And there were some kids that the model did not work for them. In what way? Um, 
some people do not do well being so self-directed. Some people really want a, a clear model or maybe it was too much unlearning even at that age. Like people would argue over grades, but technically there weren't grades. We would go camping. They wanted everyone to bond. So we did a four day camping trip in September and we biked 25 kilometers. <laughs> it's like you're a Dutch person, jeez. Yeah. Yeah. You would do that these days. We we weren't Dutch people though. So <laughs> they had it, they had a board of ed truck and a teacher with a car that like if you tanked out, they would just drive you the rest of the way. Okay. I, wish I, I wasn't that. a super <laughs> yeah, I wasn't a super biker. My best friend did it, but I was like, I'm gonna do this for both of us. <laughs> Good choice. <laughs> I was committed more than really wise or in shape. Uh, my <laughs> legs were killing for a couple of days. Yeah. You also yeah. got in food groups. We wound up with like a hundred, hundred and fifty dollars. And you grocery shopped. You planned your meal in your food group. You planned your meals, your grocery list, and then we went grocery shopping. And again, we were twelve and thirteen. Yeah. We've yeah. never been grocery shopping on our own before. So all that stuff, your parents say, no. Can I get Count Chocula cereal? No. Can I get Oreos? No. Lucky Charms? No. Hershey's? Fine. We got it all. We got it all. Oh, I thought we should make soup. So we got um, carrots, celery, onions, salt and pepper. And we boiled it all up. And it didn't taste great, but we were so hungry we ate it. Yeah. When, when I went home at the end of the week, I asked my mom, like, how do you make soup? And she's like, well, first you get boyan. I'm like, whoa, what's that? What's that word? Boyan. So this is me realizing real time how to pronounce this word. I don't even know. I, I've seen the word before, but I don't even know how I pronounced it in my head. Anyway. A guy in our food group insisted that we buy, um, these big cans of refried beans. I guess his dad had been like, you have to get refried beans. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's yeah. all we ate for two days. Cause we ate up all the Oreos on the first day and a half. And then we had no right. food, but the teachers didn't really step in and help. I mean, I think if people were starving, but it was, it wasn't Lord of the flies. It was like the opposite of that. So if you didn't really have a lot of food, actually the kids wound up helping each other and we wound up giving some of our refried beans to someone that really didn't have food. And that was the point of the school. And that set the tone for the whole year. What it sounds like with Horizon and with a lot of other alternative schools is they give you a lot of independence to figure it out on your own, to do a lot of the things that are actually applicable <laughs> to life after school um, because they think that you can do it. Or if you can't, you learn how to do it because eventually you'll need to anyway, like, like self-evaluate and give feedback. I, I mean, and kids also, they pick it up really quickly. <laughs> so if you just give them the opportunity to do things, it, they soak it up and then they start doing it. So between year six and year seven, I mean, that shift, did, did you really think that it was that different or were you just shocked by the fact that you could actually, you were accepted to do things? No, I knew it was different. I knew, I knew right away. And I knew in that way that I'd found my community. I'd found my fish to swim with. I really like a framework. So I like a framework, something laid down with guidelines that I can make my own. And, and that's what the school did. And my best friend, and we've been best friends since then, 
um, she asked at the reunion, she asked Dave, she said, look, I, I've got to ask you, were we really running the school? I mean, you, you had a, you had more of a plan and a pedagogy in place, right? And she said, because it felt to us like we were running it. But as an adult, I look back and I think, no, they had stuff in place. And so for Dave, Horizon was his third iteration of the school. And there were some early like ideas or models out there from the 70s. It was definitely the first in Toronto. Dave said for himself, he was bored in school and he loved learning. And so he thought, I'm here to learn. I'm not really learning. You know, he'd finished all of his reading in one year and asked the teacher, like, I've read the whole reading list. And she was like, we'll start it over again. Oh, that's right? the and best way to kid, get, yeah, to get them to Even it. as a kid, he's like, that bites. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like Mr. Bugs is going to go to the store and then he's going to be back home. And that gap is still in the narrative. <laughs> yep. <laughs> exactly. So he, he wanted to make another way and he knew then he wanted to be a teacher and he knew he didn't want to teach in that kind of set way. So he started at Deer Park and did it there for a few years and then started Spectrum and then Horizon. So by the time we got there, the model was more mature, but the, the framework was there and the terms we would use now are like active learning, uh, student-centered learning, right. flipped, flipped classroom. So, so how did your curriculum actually work? Because were you learning off the gen, were you learning material that traditional schools would have as well, but just in a more self-directed way? That's a great question. Okay. We learned science. And so in science, you learn a mix of like biology and chemistry and physics. So we did a project that was called Care of a Living Thing. Oh, yeah. It was not theoretical. We brought living things into the school. (laughs) What sort of living things? (laughs) Um... (laughs) Well, (laughs) it's going to sound like animal torture, but I don't think it was. We had, so we did it in groups because they didn't want too many animals. And so, so, I mean, it was definitely science, like in grade seven science, you probably learn about animal habitat and what they eat and their digestive systems and their skeletal structure. But all of this was observed because we brought the damn animals into the school. Um, I, my friend Rosie wanted to do, she wanted a garter snake cause she felt like they were misunderstood and I never really liked sta- snakes. So I was like, yes, I will be your partner and I will get over this fear of snakes. Awesome. That's a crazy, that's a crazy idea. Um, teddy bear hamsters came in, but one turned out to be pregnant. So it gave birth. Oh, wait in front of you. No, it happened over the weekend. We came in and there were babies, but oh, we knew bad. it was pregnant. Okay. Oh, no. Okay. That would have been a good yeah. uh, lesson about reproduction. Anyway. Well, we learned, but then, you know, Sage had to look up teddy bear hamster reproduction. She wound up interviewing her vet <laughs> and writing it up and then teaching back to the class. Like we did teach backs. Oh, awesome. And, and were yeah. these just, you know, presentations, however you wanted to do them or what were they? Oh gosh, I wouldn't remember now. I mean, I remember how we presented, but I don't remember what the actual assignment was, but we had to sketch our animal. 
we had to keep a daily log of what they ate, when they slept. I mean, observable. So while we were at school, we had to check on them a few times a day and write down in our log what we saw them doing. Um, our garter snake kept sitting in its water dish until it got a water blister. Oh, Okay. Yeah. So we did draw it and then we had to look it up and this was before Google. So we called the vet to ask what was going on. And then we had to present back what the water blister was. And you could have Q&A with your classmates. So we would all sit around and every week you could ask anybody about their pets. Well, gosh, if you hadn't done your homework, like at that age, when you're in, when you're 12, what your peers think of you is really important. So in a way, if you think about it from the teacher's standpoint, we did so much work and we did all the work and they just had to sit back and give us some guidance, right? They gave us our journals for us to record. They gave us like, you know, it had little parts, like it was an area to sketch. You know, do you want to sketch your thing? I didn't want to sketch, but I took pictures. Uh, What have you observed today? What did you feed it? How many times? Anything unusual, anything noteworthy? Um, but then in one of those sessions, Beth was like, I have a question for Danica and Rosie, like what's going on with your snake? Is it shedding its skin? Cause it's got that white bubble. So we said, well, we weren't sure. And we called the vet and it's a water blister and the vet couldn't take us that week. So we actually just took it back to the pet store where Rosie got it. And we asked them if I hadn't done my work and Beth had asked me that question, I'd be like, I don't know. I mean, worse than a failing grade is public shame. Hope you're enjoying this so far. So now on to the last part with Danica. And at Horizon, they said in the beginning of the year, like the student and the parent orientation, they said, this school is so good, we will have to kick your kids out at the end of the day. And it would be like, (laughs) were you? oh my gosh, all the time. In fact, Asia and I figured out a way that we could hide in one of the cabinets. And why? Why? Because I wanted to see what the snake did at night. She wasn't really that into the snake, but I'm, I was like, come on, just stay. I don't want to be alone. But it got to be like 6.30 and yeah, we weren't super comfortable. So we left. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, we were so into school and that's why I'm saying the model wasn't exactly right for everyone but there were 90 of us every year. And now actually Horizon has entrance exams and interviews because it's so popular and people want to get their kids in. Wow. Okay. And so when you were doing your classes and everything, how much did your teachers lecture? If Oh, very, very rarely. I mean, there was content that you had to deliver by lecture, like Dave and the teachers that he selected to teach there knew and and they experienced it themselves. That boredom of the teacher lecturing at you and doing that information dump, or if you're familiar with the Kirkpatrick levels of of learning, you know, it's just that kind of repetition, regurgitation. You're not actually learning and you're not actually able to really apply that knowledge. And it's definitely not transformative or changing behavior. So they knew that at that time. And that was the, that was the key to Asia's question to Dave. Like, did you guys really know what you were doing? At that point, he had proven the model. And also he had experienced that kind of boredom and, and learning loss himself. 
So I think he just really thought, you know, we need to prepare kids for the future and they're going to be running the country when I'm old. I want them to be finding solutions. I want them to be thinking critically. I want them to be uh, challenging assumptions and finding better ways and innovating. And so it tended to be more creative people that thrived in that environment because we're always seeking out novelty. Absolutely, the curriculum was there. Every step of the way, it was imaginative. Oh, I remember we did um, <laughs> we did physics. So force, velocity, acceleration, gravity, and how we did that. And every single person loved this one. We got to throw raw eggs off the roof of the school. What? That's how it should be done. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> I want to do it again now. Let's do it. And you could do as many as you wanted, but you had to name your pilot, name your egg and write a story about them. So what's their biography? And uh, you had to describe their aircraft and your hypothesis as to why you thought the egg would be protected enough. And Dave kind of put that in too, because he didn't want kids with like two dozen eggs throwing them off the roof. <laughs> yeah. So I had one and we'd been to Paris. So I had an umbrella, which was on it was the map of the Paris uh, subway system. <laughs> nice. And we had moved. So I put my raw, raw eggs, right? Put it in duct tape and um, bubble wrap. But some of the bubbles, because my sister and I had already popped them all. So I wasn't sure if it was going to work, but I thought <laughs> duct tape to the umbrella you know, she had a good, she had a good chance. Yeah. So then, yeah, you climbed up a ladder, like we had a rooftop play area, but we set up the ladders, the teachers were there and you climbed up one at a time and you sent it off and everybody watched, everybody cheered for each other. Also, it was very, a lot of team building that I think we're now seeing our essential skills. So this was really, I consider ahead of its time. These are, these are skills that we need. If you read the World Economic Forum, you know, future of jobs and education, the 2016 report, but then they've kind of redone it every few years. But the key skills that you need, collaborations on there, creativity, innovation, problem solving. So we did all of that in grade seven and eight. And I, uh, I used to joke that it ruined me for uh, other formal education because, because university wasn't like that. I failed out of McGill. I uh, started in science and it was like 2000 kids and it was X equals eight. The answer is C and that personal touch, that individualism, that creativity, that applied learning, it just wasn't there. Yeah. I switched to English and graduated on the Dean's list with honors, magna, sum, whatever. I didn't do Latin. Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, whatever but, it is. But I think, but I think that's, and also in that, I found that I preferred the smaller class sizes, the cl classes where it wasn't one size fits all. You could chew into the reading, debate, a respectful debate, but really dig into it. And that's what I learned about education from the alternative model. Well, did you have small tutor groups or anything in McGill or... Did it just not, was it not enough? We did in science. We did in English too for some of the bigger classes, but it was still X equals eight. And the answer is C, like you weren't really, you know, it wasn't care of a living thing bringing in 
live animals. It was still memorized from the textbook, regurgitate. There's 2,000 kids, so it's multiple choice test. And you would have tutorials. In science, they were optional. In English, they were mostly still required. But it was with a TA, you know, a grad student that was usually someone that just needed the funding, not comfortable Mm -hmm. teaching. I had a calculus TA that barely spoke English, but could work out the problem two different ways simultaneously. What? So I would just go and ask him questions to watch him do it. (laughs) Wait, as in, so start one and then go to the other method and start the other. No, no. Click, click, like. Oh, oh my God. That's um, a Google hunting sort of vibe. Yeah, exactly. It was totally amazing, but he couldn't explain. But how did you get to that? (laughs) And it was like, you watch. And I'm like, dude, I could watch you all day, but that is not, I'm just not going to learn. I mean, I'll tape it, but I I won't get anything from it, right? I'm like, all right, integers, do it up. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I learned zero, but the entertainment factor was very high. So I hope you enjoyed part one of this talk with Danica. Stay tuned for next week where we'll be releasing part two. See you later. Thank you.